The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Well, what's up, ACF Church? How you guys doing? Welcome. Uh, you made it here today. What a beautiful day, huh? It's a good day to be an Alaskan. It's a good day to be here together. Uh, if you're new, welcome to ACF. I just, I'm so glad that you've uh, considered spending this morning with us and hanging out with us here today. We're going to finish up our series today. Uh, our series has been, been called Unstumped. And uh, the whole point of this series has been to give you some ways of answering the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And it's important that um, if this is what you believe, if you're a believer in Jesus, that you have good answers for these kind of questions because nobody likes to be stumped, right? You ever been stumped on something and you don't have the answer for a question that you know you should have the answer for? Uh, especially when it comes to your faith, you want answers. You want to know who is Jesus. And so we talked about him as our rescuer. We said Jesus is the one who is rescuing us. We can't do anything for ourselves. We have no heartbeat, no ability to save ourselves. Literally, the Bible says that we are dead in our sins. And Jesus comes and he rescues us. And we talked about Jesus as a refiner. And uh, this is just simply the process of becoming more like Christ. Uh, if you're a believer in Jesus, you know that when you follow him, it doesn't just get better immediately. Like you don't just become a, a better person and you don't just get things figured out. All of a sudden you're super loving, super generous, super helpful. Like, you know, this is a process that we're on. And so Jesus comes and he helps us in this process, refining us, making us more like him. And then last week, Pastor Josh talked uh, about how Jesus is our restorer, that he comes in and he heals us, all the broken parts of us. I've got some messed up stuff in my past, some, some brokenness in my story. I've got some, some physical brokenness, you know. Maybe you're here today and you've got some kind of physical ailment. And that Jesus, he, he will heal us, and we, we need to trust him to heal us. And then this week, we're talking about Jesus as our returner. And uh, what does it mean that he's coming Back And so I'm excited about this today. Um, I'm feeling pretty good this morning. I spent a week in Hawaii. Um, I'd love, I know, I know, no haters, come on. I'd love to tell you it was horrible. Um, it was sunny and 85 the entire time. So um, anyway, I love you, Alaska, but uh, Hawaii was nice. It was really nice. But it's good to be back. In fact, I told my wife, um, if you... I don't know, maybe you get this feeling that when you fly back into Alaska from a place like Hawaii, there's sort of this, like you have to talk yourself back into being in Alaska, you know? And I typically have that, but it was really cool this time. As we flew back into Alaska, um, I just leaned over and I told Amanda, you know, this feels like home. This really feels like home. And so that's really cool to, to start to develop that feeling that this is home. And, and, and if you're here and, and Alaska doesn't feel like home, let me tell you, here's what makes the difference. It's the people. It's the people that you're with. It's the friends that you make. It's the relationships that you make. It's the community that you become a part of. That's what makes it feel like home. And so let me encourage you, uh, if, if you don't have a community to be a part of, welcome. Um, I hope that you'd, you'd consider being part of our family here at ACF. Um, so we're here. We're going to start with this. Um, a quick question. This is uh, participation time. I hope you participate the whole time, but I need you to help me out here. I want you to lean over to somebody that you did not come with and tell them what is the best movie of all time. All right, let's get a couple over here. Best movie of all time. Just shout it out. What, Goonies? Yes, Goonies. Rocky Road. Yeah, okay. Uh, over here. Anybody in the corner? Best movie? Braveheart. Good movie. How about here? Forrest Gump. Gump. Always Forrest Gump. Every service, Forrest Gump has uh, been a through line. So how about over here? Princess Bride. Classic, classic. Over here in this side. Star Wars. We love Star Wars. The Force Awakens. Did you see it? What? Titanic? What? <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh at you. No, that's a great movie. Yeah, Leonardo, so dreamy. So, um, Titanic, that was the first. Uh, nobody else said that was the best movie of all time. Um, I don't know why. Uh, I'm sorry. That's... So anyway, um, 
Yeah, so somebody, somebody shout out Star Wars. This was a huge deal. We just had the new Force Awakens came out. I don't know if you heard this story um, about Star Wars, that on the opening night, that, uh, that one of the guys came out of the theater, and there was this big line of people that were waiting uh, to get into the movie, and he shouted out some key part of the plot, and he got beat up by a Wookiee and a, and a space trooper. Did you guys hear about that? <laughs> And, like, the cops showed up, and it was this big ordeal. And at the end of the whole thing, I guess the police uh, deemed it a justifiable beating, which I love that. <laughs> I, I think that makes total sense. So if you're that kind of person that loves to ruin it for everybody, people are just going to beat you up, and we're all going to laugh. We're all just going to watch. Um, I don't think it's true. You can Snopes it. I think it was just a rumor. But I, I, was, I was thinking about that story as I was preparing for today because I feel like, um, you know, You've probably run into two different kinds of people when it comes uh, to religious people. Um, there's two different kinds of people. There's the guy that you've maybe seen on a street corner, and he's got the sign that says, what? You're going to hell, right? And he just wants to rub it in your face. He just wants to tell you, I'm going to heaven. You're going to hell. And, and maybe, maybe there's part of him that wants you to, you know, like, like learn more about what it means to be saved and, and grow. But you just get this feeling that he just wants to tell you that you're going to burn and he's not, right? You get that kind of feeling. But then there's, there's other people. Um, who you sit with to watch their favorite movie. And, you know, when you sit with somebody that knows every line and every part of the whole movie, when the best parts come, what they'll do is they'll just, they'll kind of like nudge you and they'll make sure that you're not at the bathroom or getting a snack. They'll make sure that you're sitting down because they'll always let you know, hey, get ready, the best part's coming, right? Because they're so excited. Get ready, the best part's coming. And I love people like that. And I feel like we've also run into people like that. I hope you're here today um, because somebody in your life has been willing to love you enough to say, hey, get ready. The best part is coming. Get ready. Are you ready? And, and maybe you've been wounded by somebody else who's just holding the sign saying you're going to hell. But I, I feel like I want to tell you like there is a better way. And that, that this whole thing that we're a part of here as ACF Church is telling people, hey, get ready. The best part is coming. The best part is yet to come. And so um, here's one thing that I know about all of you. You're all going to die. How's that for happy church? Uh, you're all going to die. And I realized that the other day, I, I was going to talk about this, and I realized I talk about death quite a bit. Um, and I don't know if I'm just kind of a morbid guy, or maybe, you know, I should be happier because I'm a pastor. But I just, I don't know, like, death is something I think about quite a bit. It's just, I feel like it's an important thing that we would consider death. And, and, and as I think about it, that death is maybe the only thing that will slow some of you down. I mean, some of you are just cruising through life, you're, you're, you're working, you're doing what you do, you're going out, you're enjoying Alaska, you got kids, you got a plan. I mean, you're just trucking along until somebody brings up the idea of death, that at some point, this is going to end. And so I would say that we all have a theology of death. We all have an understanding and a belief of what's going to happen next. And it comes out in the way that we, that we respond when somebody dies. And we say things like, oh, he's in a better place, right? Or we say, rest in peace. Or we say, you know, heaven just got another angel. We say something, or, or he's looking down on us from somewhere. And so whatever your eternal beliefs are, if you're a Christian here today, or if you're not a Christian, you probably have some kind of theology of eternity and of what's to come. Because we, we have this internal need to look forward to the future and to think, you know, what will this next thing be like? And to try to be ready for it. So where are they? Are they in heaven? Are they in some kind of, you know, in-between space, in purgatory? Where do people go? And, and what happens next? And so Jesus, when he was on earth, his favorite topic was this topic. Of all the things Jesus talked about, he talked about one thing more than anything. And it was, it was the kingdom of heaven. He said this all the time. Get ready. Get ready. The kingdom is coming. In fact, if you want to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, book of Mark chapter 1. We're going to start there. And if you don't have a Bible, you can, uh, you can get one in the back at one of these little stations. You can raise your hand and one of our greeters will uh, get you a Bible. Or you can download the ACF Church app. Um, grab that and we've got all our sermons on there. If you haven't stayed up with the series, you can uh, follow up there and listen to them on the, online. And uh, we've got the Bible access there on our app as well. So Mark chapter 1, verse 15 says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is the core of Jesus' message. Of all the things that he said, he said this over and over again. 
The time is fulfilled, which is code for get ready. Get ready. And the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying the best is, the best is yet to come. This is the best part. The kingdom of God simply means the reign of God. The reign of God. You might also hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of heaven. And those two terms are used synonymously in the Gospels for the reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. Now let's be honest. Does it look a lot like God is reigning on earth right now? At times, yes. But for the most part, it's kind of a mess. For the most part, we realize our bodies are still falling apart. The world itself has a lot of turmoil, a lot of issues. So we're kind of caught in this in-between place where Jesus, he came and he died and was resurrected to usher in this new kingdom, this reign of God. But it's kind of like this. Um, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone for an analogy a little bit. I'm going to talk about football um, a little bit because it's kind of like this at the Super Bowl there was this moment where there was still time left on the clock, but then, you know, the, the winning team gets the ball, and what do they do when there's time left on the clock? They take a knee, right? Like, they, they take a knee. If they've got the ball, there's time left on the clock, they take a knee. And the first time that I saw this happen, I was like, what's going on? Why aren't they playing? Why are there people walking out on the field? It's like they're done, but they're not. There's still time on the clock. What's going on? And my wife, because she loves me, was like, shut up. You're, you look like you don't know anything. And... She's like, hey, it's because, like, you know, the, the time's running out. The game's pretty much over. They won the game. They're just, you know, running out the time on the clock. And this is kind of the, the, the stage of the world that we live in right now. Jesus came, and what we understand is that Jesus, when he conquered the grave, he conquered death, and he conquered sin, and he won the battle. And yet we're kind of in this in-between time just waiting for the game to end. And that's where we find ourselves today. And the question is, are you ready for it? This is what I want you to ask yourself today. Like if I lean over and I said to you, hey, get ready, get ready, the best part's coming. Would you say, I'm ready? I'm ready for it. I'm ready for what's to come. So Jesus, his whole life was trying to tell people, like get ready, the best is coming. And everything he did, Jesus' life is a symbol of the better things to come. His entire life is a symbol of the better things to come. He was constantly doing things that on the surface looked like just really cool things, miracles and things that he was doing in front of people, but were really trying to tell a greater narrative, a greater story. So, for example, he would heal somebody who was, uh, was lame and a- unable to walk. And so then they would be given an ability to walk. And Jesus, although that guy was really blessed and Jesus wanted to help that guy, the crowds around him were being told a story of a day that would come when there were no more physical ailments, when, when we would have perfected bodies, when we could, everybody can walk, everybody's okay, everybody's in, in these perfect bodies. He would feed people. He'd have just a little bit of, uh, a little bit of fish and loaves, and he'd, he'd get it all together, and then he'd feed thousands of people. Now, those people were like, hey, that's awesome, Jesus, you fed us, that's really cool. But what Jesus was trying to tell them was about a time that would come when, when there would be no more wants, that you could have everything that you needed. All of your needs would be met. He did beautiful things like the sinners and the, 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 the people in the society that were outcast. He would invite them to eat with him, which was definitely not okay. This was not okay. The religious leaders were judging him as a rabbi, eating with these sinful, dirty people, almost like he was telling them a story of a time that would come that God would have perfect community with people who had been sinning and who had been broken and who had rejected him at one point. And so he's trying to tell them a greater story about what's to come by healing, by feeding people, by inviting people to the table. So this is beautiful. This is cool. Um, And if you're a Christian, I hope that you have some kind of theology of of heaven or of what's to come. But if I'm honest, um, when I was in Hawaii, I was pretty happy. I was was just, I I was really happy. And I was writing notes for this message. And I was sitting by the pool and the kids are playing and it's 84 degrees. And I've got a little umbrella over top of me and a nice little drink on the table. And like, I'm thinking, does it get better than this? Can it really get better than this. Now, some of you are in that zone where you're like, yeah, life's ticking along. I got a decent job. Um, My kids are doing pretty well. You know, I'm going to school. I'm getting decent grades. I've got a girlfriend. I've got a wife. Like, things are okay. You know, life's, life's going just fine. But some of you are also here and you're like, no, Jesus, take me now. 
Take me now. Like, this thing's not going to last that much longer. I mean, look, it's falling apart. You know, I just lost my job. Or, you know, I'm, I'm worried about my finances. I'm worried about the future and the economy. Jesus, just take us now. But either way, I hope that you have a theology of heaven. And I think what happens is we find ourselves in this place where we don't really think seriously about what's coming. And here's why this is so important. When we have a theology of heaven that lines up with Scripture, when we deeply believe that he's coming back, that we need to be ready, that understanding of eternity will change how you live today. It's going to change every decision that you make when you think about what's to come. It's kind of like the old song says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. We love the idea that, okay, if I'm going to die, that maybe I'm going to go to this, you know, happy place in the clouds. Uh, or I'm going to be, you know, peaceful with God. I, I love this idea that things are going to be okay in eternity. But, you know, in the meantime, let's just really love the place that we're in. Let's just really, you know, let, let's live it up in this world and live for right now. Just for here and now and not think about what's to come. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. So my encouragement this morning as we walk into this passage is that we would start to consider heaven and live for that today. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the crowd that we have in this room today, God. And uh, I, I just know that my words are not enough. I ask that you would get me out of the way, that people would hear your words, that you would speak to everyone in this room. God, I pray for the person here who is just saying, Jesus, come back. Uh, take, take me now. It's, it's a mess. Would you just heal me now? And I pray for the person who's here today, and they're doing pretty good. And they're not even sure maybe why they're at church today, but um, life's going well, God, that all of us in this room together could come before the living God and ask that you would change our hearts, and, and God, that you would give us a vision for eternity, a vision for a better way of living, God, that we might reflect the story that you did so well as you lived here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you were in Mark chapter 1, you can flip ahead to Mark chapter 5 as we continue on here. We're just going to talk about a story where Jesus, he is traveling around during his earthly ministry. He is healing people, helping people. People are starting to follow him. He's their meal ticket. So, you know, like if a guy's giving away a lot of food and you got no food, who are you going to follow? That guy, right? He's got food. So, Anyway, Jesus, he's doing some pretty amazing things. The crowds are gathering around him. He's speaking from this boat as the crowd kind of crowds him on the beach. And then he travels across the Sea of Galilee. And then this is where we pick up verse 21. And when, he had crossed the, uh, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet. And implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. So you got this guy whose daughter is sick, nearing death. This guy's name is Jairus. He's a synagogue leader. He's a religious man. And he comes to Jesus, asks for help. Let's skip ahead to verse 35. While he was still speaking... There came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. So, Beautiful miracle. We have this guy, Jairus. I said he was a synagogue leader, which means that when he came to Jesus, he was risking everything because it was understood that Jesus and people who believed in Jesus were not welcome in the synagogue. This man was a rebel. So for Jairus to go to Jesus was a really big deal. He was risking his reputation. He was probably quitting his job by doing what he was doing. But like any good dad, if my daughter was sick, 
and I knew somebody could help her, I would go to that person and I would risk everything that I have to go and help and, and get some help. And so that's what he was doing, going to Jesus. This was not culturally acceptable. This was not okay. He was going to probably lose his reputation and his position, but he's willing to do it. He goes and asks for help. And so they leave and they start walking to his house. The part that we didn't read about was about another miracle because on the way to go help Jairus, this other woman shows up and asks for help from Jesus. And so Jesus in that moment, instead of saying, no, I've got this girl, she's almost dead. I need to go help her. He decides to help this woman. And I was thinking about this. I'm thinking about the dad. How was he doing in this moment? How would you be doing in this moment? Would you be like, Jesus, like... Now, I know this woman's hurting and stuff. I don't think she's dying. She could probably get some help later. My daughter is dying. What are you doing? And Jesus is like, just hold on. Just hold on. She needs some help. I'm going to help her. And I'm going to help you. They continue on. And then somebody comes running up. And they said, it's too late. Jarius, don't bother this teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. Your daughter's dead. They're weeping. There's wailing. People are crying because she is dead. And so then Jesus, he responds to Jairus. He looks at him in the eyes and he says this, Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. Which, I was just trying to put myself in, in the shoes of Jairus and I was trying to deal, like, how would I feel in this moment? How would you feel if you had just risked everything, probably lost your job, lost all of your reputation to ask for some help from this guy. He, on the way to helping you, stops and helps somebody else. Your daughter is dead. Everybody's crying. Everybody's wailing. And he's like, hey, don't fear. Only believe. What would you do? I'm like, would I hit Jesus in the face? Like, what would I do? I don't know. That seems like a bad move, but what would I do in a moment like that? Here's this religious leader. He's supposed to help me. I, I risked everything, and he's probably thinking, I did believe. Remember? Remember what I did? I came to you because in our minds, like, death is it, right? Death is it. We often think of life until death, and when death comes, it's kind of a closed system. You know, there's, there's nothing, you know, that we think about after or before. We just think like there's death and that's it. And so this man was hopeless, completely hopeless. And in that moment, he was frustrated and struggling, I'm sure, with his faith. You see, when things are kind of hopeless, your theology of eternity leaks out. When things get really difficult, you and the people around you start to see what you think of what's to come. And for this man, death was the end. Nobody can overcome death. Death is it. Then, what, then what's Jesus do? He goes up to the girl, grabs her by the hand, stands her up. She's breathing. She's alive. You know, she's walking around. She's tw this 12-year-old girl is now walking around. Everybody's freaking out like, oh my goodness, she's alive. I can't believe that, that she's okay. And then Jesus is like, hey, give her some food, which is funny. I don't know if like, you know, coming back from the dead takes it out of you and you just need some. But he's like, hey, feed the girl. She was just dead. You know, give her some cereal or, you know, something like help her out a little bit. And so they, you know, they feed her. And I mean, it's just this beautiful moment. Now in the moment, I would imagine this dad, he would have said, why did I ever doubt you? can't believe I doubted you, Jesus. And I'd imagine that this was a moment of, uh, of growth for him where he developed faith that he hadn't had before. So I'd imagine this was a really big moment. This man was probably so very blessed, just thankful that Jesus would help him out. So you could walk past this story and be like, well, that's cool. Yeah, Jesus healed somebody. Yep, that's cool. But what did we just say? What do you think Jesus wanted this man to believe? Well, he'd been telling people, over and over again, Mark 1.15, let's read it again. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. What did he want him to believe? The gospel. The gospel. The good news. That's what he wanted this man to believe. Just believe the gospel. Just trust. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the word gospel. Um, for some people, it seems like a very old word. You think of like a really small church with wooden pews, and you, you think of like something very outdated. Like the word gospel has been thrown around so much over the years that in many ways it's lost its impact. And it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. If I asked you, if you're a Christian in the room, tell me the gospel. Go. What's the gospel? Most people would say this. Jesus came to save me from my sins. Which is true, which is very true. And that's part of the gospel. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't frame the gospel that way, does he? He says the time is fulfilled. Hey, it's here right now. 
and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, which means to change the way you think, rethink the way that you see the world, the way that you see yourself, the way that you see eternity. Repent and believe in the gospel. So it's almost like the gospel has more to do with the kingdom of God than it does with us. Now, certainly the gospel includes us. And certainly the gospel, the kingdom of God, this reign of God on earth as it is in heaven, involves us. It's so beautiful that God would heal us and help us and and conquer death for this little girl. And yet it's almost like he's saying it's about the reign of God more than it is about us. Now, this is a shift for a lot of people. I mean, this is like... Mind blown for a lot of people because this is a better story. And, and I, this is so important that we catch this because I, I want to say, I feel like maybe we have propagated a very small gospel. One that is revolving around you and me. And, and I love that story. I mean, everybody loves a story that's all about you, right? I mean, I love stories that are all about me. Jesus came to save me from my sins. Jesus came to help me. Jesus came to heal me. He did. He did all of that. But ultimately, you know who's going to be on the throne and king of this new kingdom? God. God will be king of this kingdom. And so Jesus is trying to show them a better story. He's trying to pull them in close and say, get ready. Get ready. The best part's coming. Revelation 21 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You see this? So this is the story of what's to come. This is the story of heaven coming to earth. Coming to earth. No more pain. No more crying. No more weeping. I mean, what could be more wrong than the death of a 12-year-old girl? Jesus is trying to show them, like, this is not okay. I mean, I think we intuitively know there are things in this world that are not how they're supposed to be. There are things that that we wish weren't that way. And Jesus is trying to show them to look right in the eye of death and to say, guys, death was never how it was supposed to be. I want to show you, just like he did in that moment, that I'm going to conquer death. I'm going to bring heaven to earth. There's going to be no more crying, no more pain. And these former things will have passed away. He's going to heal this land, heal this land world. And who's going to be king? He will. Jesus will be king, which is amazing. See, we make healing about us, but it's really about God. We make healing about us, but it's really about God. It's really about him showing that he will be king. He will be a good king. And I don't know what you think about heaven, um, what your theology of heaven is. If you're like, um, I, I don't know if we're going to be little angels flying around. Am I going to get wings? Because that'd be cool. Um, like Red Bull. Am I just going to be like cruising around? Is it going to be like clouds? And there's this kind of imagery in the Bible of streets of gold. And I always read that and I'm like, I don't know. It sounds kind of gaudy, like streets of gold. I like asphalt. That's good. Let's have asphalt streets in heaven because gold seems kind of like wasteful. Why do we do that? And then you have this picture of kind of this white castle that, you know, we're all going to live in. And I'm kind of, I always think about heaven that way. And I'm like, that's just not that exciting. Is anybody else? Just me. Just me. I'm the only one that doesn't get that excited about that. So I'm like, just give me a nice house. And, but what's really cool is that heaven is a temporary location for the dead in Christ. When you are in Christ and you die, you go to heaven, but you're not going to stay there. You won't spend eternity in heaven. You're going to spend eternity where? Here, in a perfected earth. And here's what it's going to look like. In Isaiah 65, it says this. They shall build houses and inhabit them. So first thing, um, if you want to go to heaven because you won't have to work anymore, guess what? There's work in heaven. You're going to be a builder. You're going to be a house builder. Anybody building houses right now? You're halfway there. That's cool. So, um, You're going to be building houses and inhabiting them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruits. You're going to be a farmer as well. You're going to to plant things, which takes work. You're going to build things, which takes work. 
But then here's what it says. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. So here's what's cool. You're going to work, but then you're going to get to enjoy it. I mean, because nothing's greater than like that, that, that feeling of being able to build something or create something or grow something or maybe you painted a beautiful piece of art or whatever it is that you love to do, but you're going to get to sit back and enjoy it. You're not going to have to sell it so that you can make ends meet. You're not going to have to give it away. You're going to get to enjoy your house, enjoy the food and the work of your hands. It's almost like God is like, hey, you guys were built to create. You're built to, to, to build things. And so I'm going to let you do that for eternity. And you're going to take joy in that. It's almost like the image of God in us, right? God loves to create things. He loves to step back and enjoy those things, just like we do. So he's like, I'm not going to take that away from you. It's just going to be way better than you've ever experienced. So building things, planting things. So it's beautiful. For the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. I was reading that, and I'm like, okay, so trees, people, what is he talking about? So I looked it up. Um, there are trees that live to be 5,000 years old. Do you know that? Trees can live a long time. He's basically telling you, you're going to live forever. He's just trying to reinforce this idea that, that you are an eternal being. That you are eternal. You're going to live eternally with me, those who are in Christ. They shall not labor in vain. That's nice. Anybody laboring in vain? Anybody like, why do I do this job? <laughs> I just wish I could do something that mattered. I just wish my boss cared. I wish I was producing something that had value. I feel like I'm just wasting my time here. You're not going to labor in vain in eternity on this perfected earth. It says, or bear children for calamity. So beautiful. You know, beautiful. No children will be dying. No miscarriages in this perfected earth. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendant and their descendants with them. So this is cool. Like, if you don't get that excited about heaven and eternity, if when I lean over and I'm like, hey, get ready, the best part's coming, you're like streets of gold, white castles in the heaven, I don't know, like, it's not that exciting. But I'm like, hey, look at this. This is exciting. This is, this is sunsets and mountains and a perfected world and your perfected body, whatever that's going to look like, right? And, and it's going to be beautiful, and there's relationships. You're going to have people around you. You're going to get to work and build things and experience things. It's going to be this perfected world. All the things that you love about earth, you're going to experience those things in perfection, which that's awesome. That is awesome. Here's the problem. Before this happens, before we get to go to this perfect place, before heaven comes to earth, there has to be something called judgment. Now, judgment is um, maybe one of our least favorite words. Anybody like the word judgment? Now, this is where it gets kind of uncomfortable. So you guys are going to start kind of moving around in your seats. This is, this is maybe the most offensive part of the Christian beliefs, is this idea of judgment, that we will be judged. Now, here's what I think. I think we hate the word judgment. Um, it, makes a, it makes us think of like somebody at one point that, you know, they were just trying to tell us that we were wrong and they were trying to make our life really miserable, you know, and they were trying to, you know, it's like, don't judge me. That's the first one. When we hear judgment, we hear, we think, don't judge me, right? We think don't. But here's what judgment really is. Judgment is simply exposure. Exposure. Judgment is simply the exposure of the truth. So that's a little different, right? That's a little different of a feeling because it's one thing when you're the one telling me I'm wrong and I'm disagreeing with you and like we're arguing and you're trying to judge me. It's another thing when I think of judgment like exposure, like it's revealing who I really am. That's what judgment is. There's going to be this day where who you really are is revealed. Now, if you guys know the Bible narrative, you know from the very beginning that humanity does not like to be exposed, right? That from the very moment that sin entered this world, Adam and Eve, they ate of the fruit. They realized that they were naked. And what did they do? They cover themselves up. They went and got clothing to cover themselves up. We don't like to be naked, right? <laughs> At least not in public, right? So it's like we don't want to be exposed. And this wasn't just, you know, physical nakedness. This is also spiritual nakedness that, you know, okay, now all of my stuff is exposed. I just want to, I want to cover that up. I want to hide myself. Nobody likes that feeling. So we hate, but here's, here's why we don't like judgment, and here's why even exposure is a little uncomfortable for us. Uh, because we've never met a good judge. You've never 
Nobody's ever judged you well. I mean, maybe they've done an okay job or they've tried to help you and, you know, maybe somebody has loved you at some point and said, hey, listen, dude, you're messing up your marriage. You're messing up your family. Or, you know, listen, you're, you're not doing well here. You're, you're cheating over here. This isn't helping you. It's not helping the people around you. Maybe somebody's done that. But God is a good judge. He's the only good judge. And he's going to come in and it's going to be painful. It's going to be painful if you can't have an answer, if you're not ready for this moment of judgment. So judgment is, is exposure. It's the revealing of who we actually are. 1 Peter 4, 5 says, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So there's a moment of judgment, a moment of exposure. So how will you deal with that? How will you respond when you are laid out bare before God? I love that the good news is that Jesus made a way. Jesus made a way. And for the people that don't want judgment, that don't want to be exposed, one day they will be exposed. You see, there's a certain exposure that we experience as Christians, as believers right now, right? If you're a Christian here, it's because you've been willing to say, okay, I'm going to look at myself through the lens of Scripture and through what God calls holiness, and I'm going to realize that my life's kind of a mess. And I figure this out in new ways in my life all the time. I find new ways to mess this up all the time. And I realize in new ways that at my core, I'm a sinful person. And this is a hard truth. This is a hard thing for people to realize that if you leave me to my own, my own accord, I'm going to hurt myself and I'm going to hurt the people around me. And I know this because I know what my first response is in a moment when I've been treated unjustly. I know what my first response is, you know, when, when I feel like I'm wrong or feel like somebody else is wrong. Like I don't respond in a righteous way. I'm naturally sinful, naturally do the wrong thing. And so one day that'll be exposed. And so essentially, you will either be judged now or later. Like, there's going to be judgment for all people, but, you know, for you, as if you're a Christian, what you're doing is you're going you're to say, God, would you, would you judge my heart now? Would you, would you look at me and would you reveal who I actually am and would you cover me with the grace of Jesus? Would you cover me with the grace of Jesus? And this is a beautiful, beautiful thing to realize. So there's judgment, and those that receive Jesus, what you're doing is you're essentially saying, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to have full authority in, in me, and I want you to help me, and I'm going to mess this up, but I'm giving you authority. And so by doing that, what you're doing is you're taking citizenship into this new kingdom. It's like you saying, I want to be part of that new kingdom, because guess what? In the new kingdom, there's a king. And so what does this mean? This means that if you don't want a king, you can't be in the kingdom. You can't be in the kingdom. So let me just recap. Heaven, earth. One day, heaven will come to earth. What else do we see on earth? We see heaven. We also see a little bit of what? Hell. We see some hell on earth right now, don't we? We see a lot of messes. We see a lot of hurtful things. We see people being horribly abused, horribly mistreated. We have it in our own lives. You've got stories of hell on earth. So heaven comes to earth. And then we have this new heaven in this new earth where God is king. But you know what would be weird, what wouldn't make sense, is if that in this new heaven, in this new earth, there were people there that didn't want a king. That wouldn't make sense, right? Would that be a perfect heaven and a perfect earth? Would that be a perfect world? It wouldn't be. And so what God had to create was something called hell. Now, this is a really uncomfortable part of the conversation, but there's this place that people who don't want a king have to be sent to. It's where people who don't want a king go. The thing is, they go willingly because they didn't want a king anyway. They didn't want to submit themselves to God anyway. And so there's got to be this, and I know this is uncomfortable, but this is an important part of what we believe is that there is a, there is a new heaven and a new earth, and Jesus is Lord over all. He is the king. It's perfect. And for that to be a perfect environment, a perfect new heaven and new earth, that if you're here today and you're like, I don't want another king, I'm king. I'm in charge of my life. I can fix myself, I can do it right, I'm good enough. Then, then you cannot be a citizen of that new, that new kingdom because you don't want to be. You don't want to be. So essentially God gives you what you want and says, okay, you will be over here banished to this location where there's something, he says, weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what we just read, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's continue on. When will he return? Verse, uh, 
Question number one, when will he return? Jesus in Matthew 24 says, it'll be like a thief in the night. It'll be like you getting robbed. <laughs> That's when Jesus is going to come back. Like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know you are coming. That's what it's going to be like. So he says, stay awake. Stay awake. Be ready. Be ready for the return of Jesus. Instead of staying awake, what we, what we want to do is we want to set an alarm. Right? And just set an alarm. Just tell me when he's coming back. And you know people probably who have it all figured out. They know exactly when he's coming back. They don't. Um, but you know people who think they know when he's coming back. Matthew 24, 48 says, But if the wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be, like we just said, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. That's a terrible sounding passage. Let's deal with that. Uh, is every, are you guys uncomfortable? I hope so. That's good. Because I am. This is uncomfortable. Um, but it's important. This is a hard thing to talk about. Heaven and hell are some of the most debated topics when it comes to our religion because people are very uncomfortable with this. We're uncomfortable with the idea of judgment and, and then who is this God that would let people be in hell? But understand what I just told you. Hell is a, a choice made by people who don't want to be a king or, or don't want to have a king. Jesus will be king over this new earth, whether we like it or not. And to be a citizen of the kingdom, you have to receive that and accept that. Okay, so here's the wicked servant. He's like, uh, master's gone. He's out of the house, so what am I going to do? I'm going to sweep up. I'm going to get ready. I'm going to make sure that the house is perfect so that when he comes back, it's great. No, he doesn't do that. He starts beating the people around him, abusing his authority, and then he goes and gets wasted, right? He goes and gets drunk. He's like, uh, let's just drink, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. So let's just, let's just be happy and enjoy this place for what it does. And he says, then what's going to happen is the master's going to show up when you're not ready. You thought that you were ready. You thought like, oh, I'll respond later to, to Jesus, you know? Like I'm sure he'll give me like a little warning sign, like alert's going to come up, you know? I don't know, sky's going to change colors and be like, Jesus is almost here. And then I'm going to get ready. Then I'm going to do something different. Instead, he shows up when you're not ready. And then this is terrible. It says, you uh, cut him into pieces with a hypocrite. So I read that and I was like, now I got this image of like Jesus with a butcher knife. And he's like cutting us into pieces and throwing us into this you know, place with weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think this is where sort of this caricature of hell comes from. That we, Some of you think, okay, so is it like Satan down there? Like, have you seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Come on. Some of you, okay. So you got like Satan down there and it's like, whoa! And like how he's like stabbing them with a pitchfork and there's flames. And, or, or even worse, maybe you feel like, okay, it's going to be God that's like torturing us. And so you have this idea of eternal torture. But when you, when you hear the word hell in the Bible in, in its context, you don't hear the word torture. You hear the word torment. Now, torture and torment are two different things, aren't they? Torture and torment are two different things. Here's what I mean. I heard it described this way one time, that if I had a headache, that would be torment because it rises up from within. But if somebody hit me with a two-by-four in the head, that would be torture, right? So there's torture and there's torment. Torture coming from the outside, torment rising up from within. And so what we have here is this picture of, of this, and it says he's cut into pieces. In the original language, what he's talking about is somebody that's literally cut into two, bisected. And what he's speaking to here is that when you die, if you have not submitted to Jesus as king, there's this separation of body from soul. So your body goes into the ground, your soul goes to this other place, this place of isolation that you've chosen where you don't have Jesus as king. And so he said, that's not, he's not like stabbing you with a knife for eternity. He's just literally separating you to spend eternity in this other place. And he says weeping and gnashing of teeth. This sounds a lot like the scene that we just read about where the daughter was dead. There's crying. There's mourning. Now, what do you feel when you lose somebody? It's a sense of loss, right? It's a sense of loss. And so there's this like weeping and mourning and gnashing of teeth that's happening in hell. Where people have this sort of like inner turmoil, like, like you know, this sense of, of loss and of pain. And, and it's just, it's, it sounds terrible to me. It sounds terrible. 
but it sounds like the feeling of like looking in from the outside and realizing that you missed it. Realizing that you missed it. So, when will he return? We don't know. We don't know. But I believe Jesus wants to pull you in close and say, get ready. Get ready. The best part's coming. Get ready. And our delay in getting ready reflects our desires. If you're like, I don't know, one day, Brian, next week, next month, you know, at that point, I'm going to really commit to this whole following Jesus thing. I'm not just not, I'm not really ready to, to go too far right now. It just reflects our hearts. Number two, where's the evidence? It's a great question. Where's the evidence? This is a question you will be asked and that people have been asking for generations. 2 Peter 3.1 says, This is now the second letter I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. So scoffing is simply mocking. He's saying there will come a day when people around you, if you're a believer, they will mock your faith. And they'll be like, why do you believe that junk? What are you doing? Why are you wasting your time doing any of this? Verse 4, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So here's the argument. Here's the argument. Things are going to go on like they always have. Like, who are you to say that things are going to change? Who are you, Christian, to tell me that anything's coming? It's just going to go on like it's always gone on. I've always just breathed and lived. It's kind of like saying, who are you to tell me that I'm going to die? Like, I've never died. I mean, don't tell me I'm going to die. It's not going to change. I've been alive, you know, for 33 years. Who are you to tell me I'm going to die? That's kind of the argument that he's saying. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago. In other words, they acknowledge that the world is spinning, but they don't know how it began. They acknowledge that, yeah, this has gone on for a long time, but they don't know where it started because something started it. And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So he's referring to the flood. You guys remember the story of the flood, right? World was really wicked place, terrible things going on. People were living like the master's never coming back, right? And then what's, what, what's God do? Floods it except for the few righteous people. Floods it except for the few. And so he's like, hey, listen, basically this is the equivalent of like what my dad used to say, which is, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of it, Right? Come on, parents, you say that once in a while. I, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. That's what he's saying. Literally, there is more proof that things will change than there is proof that they won't. I mean, just look at the world around you. Are things really stable? They're not stable. There's nothing stable. There's climate change, economies change, our bodies are changing, the world's changing, everything's changing. And so the idea that it's just going to go on forever is a, is a really poor argument. Last question. So how should we live? So what do we do with all that, Brian? How do we live now? Here's what I think. I think that Jesus doesn't want you to wait to enter into this kingdom. You can enter into it today. The kingdom of God is something for us to experience in eternity and something for us to experience now. And although we're caught in between, right? The game's almost over. The game's going to be over any minute now. Like Jesus already conquered sin. He conquered death. He's saying, hey, Get ready, repent, turn around the way that you view your life, view it differently like God is on the throne. And don't live someday for the kingdom of God, live now for the kingdom of God. So if Jesus' entire life was telling this story of God who comes and brings heaven to earth and reigns on earth, then what do we do? We tell the story. That's what we do as a church. Everything we do as a community is trying to tell people a better story. Every time we change oil for free for some single mom and we're like, she's like, how much, how much is it? People try to give us money every time. And we're like, um, it's nothing. It's nothing. We're trying to tell her a better story. We're dropping 30,000 eggs out of a helicopter. I hope you guys sign up to help with that. We're going to just do, it's going to be awesome over at Eagle River High School. It is not about stinking Easter eggs. Easter eggs don't matter. We could care less about plastic eggs. It's a simple way. It's a simple show of affection to our community. That's what we're doing. How much does it cost? Nothing. Well, 
costs us a lot. Costs them nothing, right? You guys pay for it. Thank you very much. Um, helicopters don't just show up for free. Uh, so, but we do this stuff out of the generosity of our hearts to show our city what? That, that one day God's going to come and he wants, you to, he wants you to follow him to be in the kingdom and it's a free invitation. It's a free invitation. He says, I love you. I love you. You, you, don't, you don't deserve it. You've done nothing to earn it. And people are weirded out by that, you guys. When you're generous and you're loving, people are so weirded out by that because that's not how the world functions around them. But when you function like that, you tell them about the kingdom of God. You invite them into this better story and you pull them close and you say, get ready. The best part's coming. Get ready. That's, that's what we're here to do. That's what I want to invite you to do. And, and if you're a believer, you can do that today. You can do that in your marriage. You can offer people forgiveness that don't deserve it. You can be generous to people. You can love people that haven't earned it. And when you do that, you tell that story. But you might be here today and you're like, I haven't made that choice, Brian. I am the unfaithful servant. I look religious. Maybe I show up to church once in a while. Or maybe you've rejected him completely. But you know, if there was this moment of exposure, if it came right now, you wouldn't be ready. You guys, you can, you can know you're ready today. It's as simple as you saying, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my heart. It's not about some kind of little prayer. It's not about showing to church. It's not about you doing, you know, any kind of good deeds to get on God's good graces. It's only by grace that you are saved. And so I want to invite everybody into that today. That today you can leave church and you can walk out of this place a little lighter and you can know that I'm ready. And then you're going to leave this place and you're not going to help but pull other people close and say, get ready. Get ready. A good king is coming. A good father is coming. And he's going to reign and he's going to rule and it's going to be better than you ever imagined. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your grace. God, I just confess that I live for the temporary and the here for now. God, and many times I don't live with a vision for eternity. God, would you just, uh, would you forgive me for seeking temporary things, God, that I know I can't take with me? God, I pray we as a community could humble ourselves before a loving, holy God. God, that we would be amazed and broken by the vastness of your love for us. God, and how you just so selflessly give up everything, God, to come to earth. Jesus, God in the flesh, to tell us the story of your coming, God, to die in our place. God, we know that as we look at our life, God, we deserve death. And yet Jesus takes it from us and says we can have life. God, so would you just take my sin? God, would you replace it with your holiness? God, would you help me along the way? God, I know I need your help. God, would you help me to know as I lay down in bed tonight that, that I'm ready? And God, would we as a community, as a church, be on mission as those who have seen and know the story of a good father who reigns on earth? God, that we would tell that story in our marriages, in our homes, God, in our families, in our workplaces, God, that we would forgive the unforgivable, God, that we let go of things that we haven't let go of, God, that you give us peace in our hearts. God, that Eagle River would be changed and it would be a community of grace because your church is telling a better story. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.